Morning Church. If you'd like to grab your Bibles, our reading this morning is from Psalm 103, which is a Psalm of David. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Just sneaking before James, I've got an uh, announcement about church camp. Church camp is two weeks away now and the Rego form cut-off date is today. So if you intend on coming... Then... Can't deny Rego the opportunity to get up in front of everyone. <laughs> right, um, it's my honour to lead you in congregational prayer this morning. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and thank you for the opportunity we have to come and worship you as a community of believers. We thank you that we can share in the Lord's Supper this morning, that we can partake and reflect on the power of the cross and what you have done for us. The ultimate price was paid by Jesus bearing our sins and dying on the cross, that we might be forgiven when we believe in him as our Lord and Saviour. May we be reminded every day that it is only by your sovereign grace and mercy that we can know you and call you Father. Across the earth, there are so many other places where fellow brothers and sisters are persecuted for their faith in you and cannot meet together. We pray for them this morning, that their faith be strengthened. 
Here in Australia, we continue to see a gradual and ever-continuing loss of freedoms as Christians and pay, pray that through your grace and mercy, you would strengthen our faith so that we can continue to preach your word. We bring before you those who have been affected by earthquakes and flooding. Beyond natural disasters, we also think of those affected by the many chemical disasters that have occurred across the US in the last couple of weeks. Every week there seems to be another event that affects the lives of so many. Please provide comfort to them that they may know you. May those who have lost everything know the hope that only you can give. Thank you, Lord, for Jeff and the team at the Wheatbelt Christian Fellowship and Gospel Air and their work in the rural and remote communities here in Western Australia. It is so encouraging to hear about and see you working the people's lives that this ministry reaches. We continue to pray for your provision for this ministry, those that serve in it, and ultimately that people will continue to come to know you through it. Please provide safety for the team especially Jeff, as they frequently fly and drive many kilometres every week. Protect them and bring them safely home so that they may continue to serve you. As the church camp approaches, we pray that it will be a time of blessing for the church family, that it would be a time of growth individually and as a community through Tim Thorburn's teaching and that we'll be encouraged to continue the work we have been commissioned to do as believers build each other up and spread the gospel to those around us. As we continue to seek a new pastor here at Willow, we pray for the calling committee and church council that they will consider wisely who is put forward for that role. Lord, we know that you will provide for us a pastor who will continue to grow this church. In the meantime, please give us patience and servant hearts to get involved in the day-to-day -day life of both the church and also each other's lives. May we edify and disciple one another so our community here at Willow will be strengthened. We also pray for the filling of various ministry roles that are currently vacant or becoming vacant in the near future. Thank you for those who have expressed interest in serving in the church in various ways and wisdom for those assessing the applications. We bring before you those of our congregation who are or have family who are facing struggles. We pray for the Christies as they provide care and support for Vanessa's mother after a significant health event. May you be with Vanessa and her sister as they provide full-time care for their mother and also try to manage work commitments. We also pray for Robin Pelachet and the wider family with the challenges of trying to support aging parents from afar and having to travel frequently to be with them. Please provide wisdom for them and everyone in these situations, that the decisions that need to be made around accommodation and care and sustain them in this difficult time. As Jeff brings the message now, we pray that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding as your word is preached. May we learn and grow by hearing and understanding your word and putting what we hear into action. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Well, we're going to concentrate on verses 8 to 14 of that psalm. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, 
abounding in love. He'll not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. That's going to be key. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Well, we probably use them more than uh, what we think. And by overusing them, uh, we turn them into cliches. You know what a cliche is? The overuse of a word or, or a phrase, it's just used so often it becomes virtually meaningless. Take, for example, the word awesome. You hear it used for just about anything and everything. When I think of awesome, I think of our trips out in the desert. And um, you're out there in the middle of the Simpson or somewhere else and you just look at the sky. It's so clear, the stars. I always say to people, especially the kids in the Murchison, that the, the stars seem so close to you it's as though you could just reach up and ripple them, you know, like a pond. It's just magnificent. That's awesome. Or go up in the wet season to the Kimberley and look at the waterfalls in full flood. I mean, that's awesome. Um, but a good meeting? Uh, can a meeting be awesome? Or a meal? You, know, you go to a restaurant and you go, oh, that was awesome. Really? Words like awesome should be reserved for that which is outstandingly brilliant. Just, you know, incredible to, to behold. Likewise, the word amazing. If we look at someone who's truly amazed with something, if we take the word as to what it should mean, then they're like a stunned mullet, you know, ah, jaws dropped, that's amazing. When we think of amazing grace, are we like stunned mullets and jaws dropped? Or is it amazing grace? Yes, sir. And so today what we want to do is take a look at this grace of God. Let's, let's recapture why it's truly amazing. Not the cliche, but the real thing. Why is it amazing? How is it amazing, the grace of God? So when we turn to our psalm, it's, it's interesting. It begins with this, this call from the psalmist to himself to be exuberant all out in his praise to God. Look, look at those words again. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. When we say something's heartfelt, we mean it's genuine. It comes from the heart. It's not just something you say glibly. It's not just something that's polite. It's not just something you, you, you should say to, to be well-mannered. No, heartfelt means you really, really mean it. It's coming from deep within. And this is what the psalmist is saying. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. 
praise his holy name. In other words, in this praise to God, nothing is to be held back. We give it all. We empty the tank, as it were. It's all out praise to God. And at the end of the psalm, it's not just the psalmist who wants to praise the Lord, but he calls on others to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. That's the beginning and the end of the psalm. This call to praise. Let everything praise God in heaven and on earth. But why? Why should we praise God? I mean, there's lots of things we could be doing this morning rather than be here at church. So why praise God? Well, we're not left wondering. In verses two to five, we, we read, praise the Lord, o, o my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There are benefits in having a relationship with God. And there's all of them, there's lots of them. And some are mentioned. He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. He crowns us with love and compassion and satisfies our desires with good things. Not necessarily what we want, but with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. And so today we've remembered at the Lord's Supper. We've remembered what Jesus has done for us. We've remembered the cross. We've remembered the, the forgiveness of sins that's involved in all of that. But do we feel like stunned mullets? Are we in awe? Are we amazed? Well, let's see. Let's examine why we should be that way. Anyone here perfect? I tell my kids in the Murchison and have in catechism classes for donkey's years that if I were to have a, a glass of water and drop a little bit of poison into it, just a, a couple of drops of poison, would they now drink the water? I mean, it's only a couple of drops in a glass of water. I've never found a child yet to say, yes, I drink it. Well, the Bible says, that's us. We may do so many good things, but one sin, one drop of poison corrupts the whole lot. Of course, God's perfect and he can only accept that which is perfect. And that's why the scripture says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are no exceptions. Everyone has sinned. And you think of a, a target, you know, archery, you think of a target. All have fallen short of the mark. All have fought, fallen short of God's glory. You know, the problem for us is the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. So out of us sitting here today, and anyone who's watching this morning, welcome by the way. The fact is, we're all sinners. 
And what we deserve, the wages we deserve, is death. No exception. Doesn't sound good, does it? So that was the condition that the world has been in since the, the fall of Adam and, and Eve in the garden. But at the beginning of the psalm, listen to one of those benefits. Praise the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins. How many? 99%? 80%? 50%? No. 100. Exactly, Amanda. All of it. Who forgives all your sins. And if all our sins have been forgiven, there's nothing more to be paid for. The wages of sin is death. But if there is no, no sin, there are no wages to pay. There's no death to die. And there's no sacrifice either that's required. Remember that call to worship this morning from, from Hebrews with regard to the work of Jesus as the great high priest over against the, the high priest of old. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I'll make with them after that time, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Their sins and lawless acts I'll remember no more. And then it says, and where these have been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. See, Jesus could sit down where the, the Old Testament priests had to keep working. Only Jesus' sacrifice satisfied God's wrath against sin. He could sit down after his work on the cross. Ever wondered why there are some denominations that have an altar in the front of the church? Because symbolically there's still a sacrifice to be made. We don't have an altar with regard to the Lord's Supper. Don't need an altar because there's no more need for a sacrifice. No altars in our churches. No need for them. And we don't have priests. Jesus is our priest, our high priest. Isn't that amazing? The fact that we don't have an altar and the fact that we don't have priests and no need for them is because sin has been paid for. And look at those words in Psalm 103, 11 to 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You can keep going east, but you'll always have the east in front of you. What it's saying here is you can never find your sins back again. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed them from us. They will not be found back. They're gone, done, dusted. And the passage here tells us God has done this out of his compassion, his great compassion and love for us. We deserve death. Remember, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. We deserve death, but instead through Christ, we're given life. And all that comes through the transaction that took place on the cross. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that's Jesus, God made him, 
now listen to this, who had no sin to be sin for us. Get that? God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that in him, we would become the righteousness of God. A transaction took place. You know, you got debit and, and credit. We were full in debt. The wages of sin is death. Jesus was perfect, not one sin. And on the cross, those balances were changed over. That's what the cross did. But only for those who believe, who rely upon Jesus and only Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, there may be someone here thinking, well, no, this can be true for other people, but not for me. You, you, you don't know my past. You, you don't know what I'm doing now. You, you, you don't realize how sinful I am. God, God could never love me like that. God could never deal with me even, you know, in, because I'm so undeserving. Well, let's think about that. Let's test that. Consider David. David was an adulterer and a murderer. And then he sought to cover, cover up his sin so that nobody would know about it, forgetting that God knows everything. And yet David knew God's grace. In Psalm 51, where he confesses his sin, what does he pray there? He talks about God cleaning him and cleansing him. Clean me with hyssop that I shall be white as snow. He believed and he received the gift of grace. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. David called out to God and he was answered. Even today in scripture, any Christian who knows their Bible knows that God refers to David as the man after his own heart. An adulterer and a murderer and a cover-upper. But then there's Paul, the Apostle Paul. He was a murderer. He was persecuting the church before he became a Christian. He rounded up men and women and he had them put into prison and he had them put to death. He says it in his own words when later on he appears before princes and governors. You know what he said about himself? Listen to this. This is in 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says, of whom I am the worst. Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst. But for this very reason, I will show in mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. The worst. Paul says, I'm the worst. In other words, here's the worst. If you're the worst, can there be anybody below you? Anybody? Can there be anything below the worst? No. So Paul says, I'm the worst. If this grace was shown to me, then it can be shown to you because I'm worst. You've got to be above me. Anyone here think that they're beyond grace? 
No way, says Paul. I'm the worst. You're not below me. Beginning to get amazed? I, I want to show you something even more amazing. We haven't been treated as we deserve at the expense of Jesus' life. As we remember in the Lord's Supper, our sins have been removed. But consider this. In Hebrews 10, 12 to 14, it says of Jesus, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, now listen, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's talking about a past action. Jesus sits down at the Father's right hand after completing his sacrifice. Why? Because he's made perfect those who are being made holy. What's that telling us? Even though you and I struggle with sin, even though we need to repent of sin, when God looks at us through Jesus right now, today, even as you're listening to me, as God listens to us or looks at us through Jesus, as you're listening, if you belong to him, seeing no sin in you, because it's been taken away. He sees you as perfect. What does he see you as? Everyone say it. Perfect. He sees you as perfect. He chooses to look at you that way. Doesn't mean you don't have any sin. You don't need anything to repent of. But in terms of the need for you to do something to be saved, uh-uh. It's already been done. It's been paid for. God chooses through Christ to look at us through perfect. Calvin talks about looking through rose-tinted glasses, as it were. Am I pulling your leg? Is, is this just something I'm doing that's cruel to you? Giving you false hope? Listen to what it says in Romans 8, 1 to 4. This is a passage you know well, I'm sure. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man in order that, and here it is, the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Hear that? So that the righteous requirements of God's law would be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. What the law couldn't do, what you and I couldn't do for ourselves, going to church often enough, doing the right thing often enough, paying our taxes the right way, all those things we could not do in order to, to win God's pleasure, Christ did on the cross. The law we couldn't keep, Christ did, and therefore God looks at us through Jesus and says, the law has been full, completely fulfilled in you too, those of you who believe. We're going to sing a hymn in just a moment. And it has some beautiful words that come out of a passage I'm about to read from Colossians 2, 13 to 14, that we need to take to heart. 
When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. When you were dead in sin, God made you alive. Not will make you when you die and go to heaven. No, God made you alive. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. We've got to take it to heart, folks. What stood opposed to us, the law, the things that we thought we had to do to get to heaven, they're gone, they're done. It's been nailed to the cross. God chooses to look upon us through Christ as perfect now already. And now that beautiful hymn we're going to sing. Most people don't understand that there's a pause in this song. My sin, and then there's a pause. Paul is about to, or the writer is about to think of what he's about to write and he thinks about it and he says, my sin, and then he says, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. And then he goes back to where he started, my sin. So he goes, my sin, ah, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. And if we really understand that, then we have full assurance. We, you and I could die right now and not be worried about whether we're going to see Christ in heaven, whether we've done enough, because it's not about us doing anything. We could die right now, having no more time to set anything right with God in full assurance that we'd be going to heaven. That's what the last verse is saying. Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even then it is well with my soul. Jesus can come back right now and I wouldn't be afraid. It's well with my soul. Why? Because my sin is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we give you thanks. Forgive us when amazing grace is just the title of a song. When we've lost that sense of amazement and wonder and awe. Help us, Lord, to understand what, what it is that we deserve and what we have received through your love and compassion at the expense of your Son. Whether we are, are people of the faith already, children of God, Lord, help us to be amazed and to praise you and worship you in all of life. And if we're here this morning for the first time and we're inquiring, we're, we're wondering what Christianity is all about, we ask for your Spirit to work in our hearts too. Help us, Lord, to understand it's not about what we have to do, but what you have done for us and what we've been freed from and how you choose to look at us. 
Grant to us also then the gift of faith. O Lord, we, we ask now that as we go forth, that we may go forth joyfully, skipping as it were, thankful for what we've heard and, and tasted and seen and, and, and handled and help us to just not be able to contain our joy and be willing to share it with, with, with whoever comes across our path, that they too may know your love and compassion in Christ and so be saved. This we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.